I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today, we have a special guest. Every guest of ours is very special. We have uh, Kyle France, who is a quickly ascending up the architecture ranks. Kyle is very busy. He's got a ton of projects, which we talk about a, a good handful of them. Uh, he worked for Tom Doak and uh, Bill Corr and Ben Crenshaw. Uh, he, he is, uh, he's a great guy, great architect, and his restoration is on display this week with the U S women's open, um, should be a highly entertaining watch this weekend. I would recommend, uh, tuning in pine needles is, uh, is a really neat Donald Ross course that everybody can play. Uh, it's part of the pine needles, mid pines, and now Southern pines resort there. Um, Kyle has restored each of those golf courses. So he's got extensive Donald Ross uh, experience. He was also part of Bill and Ben's uh, crew that restored Pinehurst number two. So thank you to Kyle for coming on and uh, fitting us into a very busy week where he's on site. And, uh, and I hope you guys enjoy this. Hey, uh, what's, uh, what's it been like being a... You know, up and coming architect. You've had this boom of projects. Obviously, you know, there's work going on everywhere. What's been the hardest thing about getting really busy? The fact that we are busy, a lot to do, a lot to think about. You know, being a golf course designer is it's kind of a shell game, you know, where uh where you're trying to make sure all your work is as good as it can possibly be in the field while working on getting ready for the next project, the specifications, the budgets, just the preparing of everything, permits, everything. And then and then getting out there and get after all these new jobs in like the hottest market since probably since uh, when I first entered the industry. So uh, uh, it's, a, it's a heavy shell game, you know, uh, and everybody knows, Andy, that uh, that of all the architects, I, I'm like the least social media conscious, just like the classic artist knows the grindstone. So I actually hired somebody to help us from around the resort here at Pine Needles this week uh, for that in the in the future. Because at the end of the day, sooner or later, you got to do at least a little bit of marketing. So uh, so it's been a busy, busy stretch, but all for good reasons. We have such a great run of projects coming up between, you know, heck, just what we going on, got going on here this week with Pine Needles and the Women's Open. You know, uh, Sam, our, our, our young intern at Shaper, was out there in the field until dark 30 last night, getting everything ready. And uh, we got Lookout Mountain coming down the pike next week. Cabot Citrus Farms after that. Uh, Wampanoag up uh, north, Rock, great old Ross course that Brad Klein and Michael Fay, uh, uh, I think they started the Dollar Ross Society ad. And uh, and some cool stuff we've been having going on lately between Charlotte Country Club and uh, Southern Pines. Eastward Ho Club. Southern Pines opening back up. Yeah, you know, you're I mean, busy, it's man. A, it's been a blast. Some stuff up in the northeast in the Green Mountains, Dorset Field Club, great old club up there, and uh, um, you know, even more stuff at Country Club of Charleston. So we've been incredibly busy. A lot of cool stuff, and uh, you know, heck, there's even a, a new build, new build here and a new build there floating around the uh, the neighborhood these days. The market is incredibly hot, so it's been a lot of fun. 
Have you um, had to scale up? I've, obviously, you know, I think that's one of probably the trickiest things about growing and, and getting busier. Have you had to scale people up? And, and how's that been? And, and how have you had to let, have you, has there been any struggle letting go of certain things? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, as you know, from my history, you know, I started my career working for, for my old boss and mentor, Tom Doak. And I started at the, at, you know, the finish level doing detail work at Pacific Dunes, uh, whether it was, it was, you know, fairway detailing or bunker detailing plantings and just making stuff look like it had been there forever. So at my, at my heart, you know, having done that at, at Barnboogle and Pacific and all those early projects, jumping up to shaping and uh, at Barnboogle and then, you know, lead, lead shaper at things like Cow Club, for example, uh, you know, where you're living out in San Francisco these days. Um, to you know the same with uh, with the Piner's number two project. My heart is always with the detail work in the field. You know the guys always know that that I want to like get in the machine and uh, and and you know kind of do do my thing. And fortunately, you know I built my business to try and be a uh, sort of a blend of my three mentors. You know Bill Core, he's not going to get in the dozer, but he's going to finish the greens. That's what he loves to do is beyond the Sam Pro. Whereas is Gil. He wants to be on the bulldozer, as everybody knows, all the time. And uh, and then Tom, you know, Tom Doak, Tom will occasionally for fun, he'll get back in the machine. But he does more of kind of walking and managing and looking over things. So he's kind of a blend between he and Bill. And uh, um, so I've tried to take pieces of all three of those mentors and just mold it together into what I really want to do out there every day. And it allows me to uh, to pull myself away when I need to to get out uh and do kind of the more planning and the budgeting and the managing and the, and the everything of being a golf course designer. But that's, it means that I'm going to get back in the sand pro when there's one that I really want to, I really want to have some fun with my uh, myself all the way down the line or get in the, uh, in the extra excavator, the dozer. So, uh, so it's a lot bigger operation than the last time that, uh, that we talked to you. I wasn't far off of a one man band back in those days. Uh, but, uh, but it's been a lot of fun and we, and we have a lot of fun, you know, I've always, I always like that 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 quote about Steven Spielberg that uh, that uh, that he just makes every day of the work fun to where it doesn't feel like work anymore. Something to that effect. And that's what we really uh, we try and do. Even when we're at our most stressful, uh, uh, heavy moments where we got to get things done, we have to try and have as much fun as possible. I feel like we're similar. You know, when I, when we were hanging out, when we hung out last, I I was uh, a one man band, I believe, also. So you know, the uh, you know, no more a one man band, and and I completely agree. I think uh, you know, if you if you do something you love, you never feel like you're working. And uh, I think we're, we're both into we get to talk about golf and golf architecture here today. That that doesn't feel like work. So I uh, this week U.S. Women's Open at one of your I think you know one of the projects that put you first on the on the map and a big part of your you know uh kind of ascension into the top tier ranks of golf architecture was your work at mid pines and pine needles there in pinehurst and this week we've got the u.s women's open at pine needles tell us what the key themes what do people need to know about pine needles this donald ross course yeah uh, you know we have worked, we have just worked and worked and worked on this for six years. You know, I was joking out there this morning that we started this puppy in the summer of 2016 and we finished it at nine o'clock last night. And um, <laughs> we've changed a lot. You know, I mean, it has such wonderful history here. You know, obviously just a great old Donald Ross course in, in the Sand Hills uh, and then owned 
owned and operated for you know decades and decades and decades by by Peggy Kirk Bell and uh it's just awesome to work for the Miller Bell McGowan family I always joke that they're the great golf family in America you know they uh um they're so much fun to work for the enthusiasm they the you know the uh the hospitality driven like family-owned resort style you know, it's just so much fun um and it's really been a lot of fun to, to to get back to what this golf course, you know, looked like when Donald Ross uh, uh, worked on it. And uh, and, you know, all those decades ago when when Mrs. Bell bought it, you know, uh, we've been restoring the uh, the Sandy hard pan and the native areas around the golf holes and um, uh, the, the natural bunker style. We widened the fairways back out uh, to where you can, you know, players of the highest uh, handicaps, they can really golf it around and, and have a lot of space out there. But for the, for the professional players this week, they have a lot of space out there to aim the sides of fairways and, uh, and really strategize quite a bit. And I've just been like a kid in the candy store all morning, just getting out there and watching them doing just that. Um, but really where this project started is, is a kind of reverse order from say mid pines where we did a lot of the bunker work, uh, first, and then we jumped into, uh, greens and expansions, uh, after that, um, since greens are always shrinking on this golf course, we started with the greens first and uh, um, the greens after having been regrassed a few different times between the 1930s and the 19 or uh, 2000s, 2008 or so. They they just, you know, what happens a lot of times is they settle and they uh, when they get rebuilt, they soften just a little bit each time. Uh, especially it's really hard to switch from, from old push-up greens to USGA greens before we had the GPS uh, and scanning ability to put it back uh, absolutely perfectly. So I spent a ton of time just going back through all the old photography of, of both pine needles and just the golf courses around here. And we, and we injected back in a lot of what I call the kind of horse and blade touch, the really cool, small intricacies uh, that really, really make the, uh, the design shine. It makes you really think about, you know, you got to think a little harder about how you get into that whole location and it tucked in a corner because of a big spine that works into a green or, or a fall off that goes off the side. So we really expanded down the slopes quite a bit. So you get more of that, that, uh, uh, ejecting sort of motion of the shots when you get offline here, kind of like number two, uh, but also a lot of the cool intricacies that go into the green, you know, uh, kind of an unwritten rule among the, the staff that, uh, that worked on this project um, on the greens and that's small enough. I can, I can remember everybody's name and not screw it up, but, uh, you know, myself and, uh, uh, Jaeger Kovich and Ben Warren pitched in a little bit on it. Uh, um, the, uh, I think I got everything, everybody there. And, um, uh, we had, I just had kind of an unwritten rule. It's like, I just told everybody to get one contour. Let's find one contour on every green, uh, that, that is, is so cool and, and abrupt and unique that it couldn't be made by a bulldozer, you know, it had that cool sort of like really wildly sort of uh, detailing to it that, uh, that Ross excel that here. You look at photos of like, say number two, green on number two, a bulldozer is just, it's just too heavy to get that kind of truly abruptness. You need an excavator or back then the horse and blade. So we really got a lot of that, that great nuance back in there. Mm-hmm. So how how is this course differentiated from the other? I, I guess, you know, there's so many Ross courses in the Pinehurst area and, and great golf courses there. How does how does Pine Needles have a different identity than, say, Mid Pines, Pinehurst number two, Southern Pines or Pinehurst number one? You know, the other Ross courses that you're so familiar with there. That is a great question. Great question. So the. um 
yeah, the first and foremost most important thing to mention of, of, of Ross's work is that while it all you know fits in within a common theme, he did try and make every one of them just a little bit different. You know, the concept was a little bit different. And that's where that's where he was always just separating himself as such a great artist, obviously. Um, so and he was also evolving a lot during the course of his career here. His courses in the teens here are completely different from his work by, say, 1945 or so. So the easy way to do it was to set the goal on each project to. Uh, to, to try and emulate a different period in his career. But getting back to basics, what he was trying to accomplish in the case of Pinus number two, you know, most of the land on Pinus number two is really pretty mellow. You think about one, two, 18, uh, 10, all those areas, it's a pretty mellow terrain through there. Um, so he was able to get away with those big, huge areas of sandscapes. Those don't really work on the big sloping golf holes where it washes and it's, it's kind of difficult to maintain. So that's why, Finders number two has those big, huge swaths, big, wide corridors, and all that heavy sand around the edges of every hole. In the case of mid pines, much different. It's sloping. It, it's uh, very steep. You can't have as much sandscape or it just gets blown to smithereens by the weather. So he chose to do a really difficult golf course where it was going to be tight, compact. The, uh, the fairways was wide, but the areas outside of the holes, the buffer on the sides, was nil. It was nothing. So you'd go right into the wiregrass, right into the wisteria, right into the tough stuff. And it was meant to be more like, you know, uh, the, the players club around town. In the case of Needles, you know, they built the big resort kind of uh, attached around it, the big, beautiful building that you see behind number two. It was really meant to be kind of a great championship test, but much more playable. So I've always noticed, you know, as you look at the uh, uh, the aerials of it, that's some decent sized corridors, uh, a little closer to number two, but also to where the fairways were really big and wide and spacious and um Less in the way of force carries. His early work in Piners was laced with force carry after force carry. Half the holes on course one and course two had a big carry on it. So he was always evolving and changing. And um, uh, and so I've really tried to I really tried to, to draft off that when we were doing the Piners number two project. To make a long story short, we tried to do the early 40s work where big uh, uh, they did some bigger sand flashes in the bunkers, but it was more mellow, a little more maintainable. And that was perfect for what we were doing leading into the uh, the U.S. Open, where if there was a big storm, they could put it back together. But it's still very artsy and splashy and cool. With his mid-30s stuff, he was going all out. You know, he did the wildest greens of his career at Pinehurst. He did the wildest bunkers, big, huge, high sand faces. And I felt like that would be perfect for the vistas of, of, of mid-pines. With pine needles, you know, we we know we're going to have these kind of events like this time. So we want to be a little bit more like number two, where not as big as sand flashes, a little bit easier to put back together if you get a big storm and things wash out a little bit. Um, and by the by the mid 40s, he and late 40s, you know, they'd gone through the depression of the warriors where there wasn't a ton of money. And he'd started to get more like the rollover grass face bunkers like you appreciate in those great courses in Chicago you played all these years. So he'd become a lot more mellow and uh, understated with the styling here. And I felt like when we'd finished mid-pines, we'd maximize kind of that style. With number two, we'd maximize that early 40s style was a blend. Uh, where I really wanted to do something that was cool and like understated. Like we would talk about Shinnecock's bunkering as much as Pinehurst uh, bunkering uh, when we were working on this, because that's what you kind of would see in those old photos from the uh, late 40s. So so there's a lot of turf grass at Pine Needles. It's wider and more playable than, uh, than kind of the other guys. Again, the nice mellow uh, a bunkering style, but it also sneakily does something else with the styling of the, uh, of the greens because 
all the bunkers are kind of sunken down any of those more like lower grass face elements. So it allows you to run the contours that sucks in shots like a Lynx course further into the putting surfaces. So the first and foremost goal was to really, really run those shapes way into the greens where A, it would either jet shots off the edges or it would, it would just suck in balls like a vacuum from outside in the green into the bunkers. You know, the players are getting a great uh, uh, taste of that right out of the gates today on uh, on several holes. But, um, you know, one is one that's really like that. Whereas if you get on that left-hand side of the green, you know, 10, 15, 20 feet into the green, balls will roll down into the bunker. Same with the third green, and so it goes, 18. So it allowed us to do some different things with the styling of the greens, knowing that we were going to uh, that we were going to be really low with the bunkering. One hand kind of washes the other there. Yeah, those greens, you have to be so, so careful and cognizant when you're approaching an edge. You know, that that's one of the things that I take away so much from there is the topography of the place where in so much topography and landing areas out there, but then also how how delicate and, and precise you need to be if you're going anywhere near a corner pin. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. If so if you were gonna, you know, pull out maybe maybe two or three holes that you that viewers this weekend should really pay particular attention to at Pine Needles. Which ones would you uh, select? And I know that's kind of you know a question that's hard to you know answer and sometimes pinpoint down. But I know you you like a couple of holes there, you know, on that golf course. Yeah, let me think about it here for a second. I mean, there's so you know it's it's uh, I joke all the time. It's uh, it's 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 almost impossible to like ever zero in on holes that I like better than any of the other ones on our courses. I have to think the hardest about that because we're always so focused on details and what we'd like to accomplish over to all architecturally. But you know, one hole that I think is going to one be uh, a big change for the players in this event, um, and we've made some big changes on is the uh, is the tenth hole. You know. Um, when they would have played here the last the last uh, uh, tournament, um, the uh, there was no crossing feature on the tenth hole. Whereas is now there's a really cool feature that if you're going to try and go for it too, you got to carry that baby in the air about 50, 60 yards short of the uh, the green. So um, you know the USGA was was really you know encouraging of us to try and get a little more thought provoking stuff in the landing zone down there. And originally the 15th hole had uh, a crossing feature on it, but because of the, uh, uh, the hole has out of bounds kind of on both sides, you know, the village has grown out and around it over these hundred years. Um, it really didn't make a lot of sense to restore the crossing feature on 15. The hole would just be too hard for the, for the average player. But I really wanted to get Ross's famous crossing feature back in, you know, he loved to do those every once in a while, a lot in his early career. So uh, I was like, well, why don't we do it on 10? It's the other par five on the back nine. And it's perfect for it because it's a dog leg. If you uh, if you bail out away from the left-hand fairway bunkers on the interior side of the dog leg on the tee shot, you have a really big carry across that crossing feature. Whereas you challenge the uh, the bunker, all of a sudden the red sees part up there. So he had the two, the two twin bunkers on the side and we just connected them with kind of a sandy scape. So players really, there's a, there's a, a much more of an incentive for the players to really play aggressively on 10 and a great reward for it. So that'll be a big departure from the, uh, from the, uh, the previous events. I think that's going to be a lot of fun, but really a lot of the, the things that I think are going to be really enjoyable this week for the viewer and the players is, is the elements that we've restored that just, 
we're missing the last three opens here. For example, the right-hand side of number six has a really cool kind of sandy ridge that injects into the fairway in the landing zone, and it makes for a phenomenal tee shot. The, uh, That's one of the, my the favorite fairway. tee shots out there. It's blind. You, you right? just are staring up over a really clean horizon line, and you've got those beautiful sandscapes up the hole. That tee shot is an incredible tee shot. Yep, yep, yeah. The, you have that big kind of walk the plank kind of tee shot where you want to stay up on the flat up there where you can see in the great look down at the green, but on that right hand side of the fairway, it starts to like it starts to valley in and it really kick shots hard to the right. So what we did is there was Ross had some sandy areas and uh and kind of a moundy kind of feature on that right hand side as you get past that valley. Uh, that would make it a blind tee shot if you got down in the low down there, uh, almost like a uh, Shinnecock or National Golf League style thing where, where if you get in the wrong section of the fairway, it's like, oops, I don't know where I'm going now. And uh, so we we injected in the sandscape to help with that and uh, and really make it to where if the players are going to hit the driver there, they've really got to they got hit on the screws and they got to get into the right section down there or it's going to bounce to the right, leave you with the blind shot or worse, it's going to bounce into that sandy zone down there. So I think that's going to be a uh, a really pivotal and cool hole. It's the toughest tee shot, I think, on the uh, front nine, with the exception of maybe one or two, um, uh, where where you get a big advantage out of it. There's hard tee shots like eight, but the ones that I really like are the ones where you have these these up and overs. I mean, that's the hallmark of of uh, of Ross's work here. Getting back to basics, how he made pine needles different from the other ones is, you know, mid pine sits in a big bowl uh, where you have a lot of like side hill kind of tee shots where you can hit draws and fades to your advantage. It pine needles to make it different from number two, where you have the big sandy swaths uh, and the bowl of mid pines. He did the up and over tee shots, those hog backs, where if you hit good solid tee shots, you get that big speed boost, the big bounces forward. You hit weak ones, you're going to be taking three clubs or two clubs more in all day long. And you're going to be way back there. So, um, uh, so the holes that I really love out there the most are where all those pieces come together, like number two, like number six, where you know you hit a big solid tee shot, you get that big bounce forward, and you're coming in with a couple, uh, couple less clubs. Yeah, I think two is another great hole, and and I think it, it one of the things that I love about it is how it, it early in the round, it, I think that hole really encompasses what you're going to see. It tell it gives you a glimpse of the story that you're going to play against. Um, you know, the, the challenge of, of pine needles right off the bat, like you get that, that hole is just such a tremendous golf hole, you know, that you get a little bit, you know, there's a lot of blindness out there, which I think is a really neat feature for professional golf. And, uh, so what you, you went out and watched a little bit today. What type of things are you looking for as you go watch a tournament as an architect? And obviously you had the opportunity to watch the U.S. Women's Open at Country Club of Charleston, another one of your courses. What what types of things do you look for, and specifically, are you looking to watch at at uh, Pine Needles? Yeah, you know, uh, three different things. One is it's just uh, it's a dream come true for me to get out and just watch this. You know, we're pretty lucky that as the as the schedule shakes out, we don't start at Cabot until July. And we don't start at Lookout Mountain until uh, after Monday, perfectly timed. So uh, one might say you knew what you're doing, you know that. <laughs> yeah, you know. So the uh, the uh, uh, the timing works out. Uh, the timing works out really nicely that I'm going to get out there and, and do it. But the second thing is really, you know, it's really fun to see how the players are are playing the shots out there. Uh, see how if they're noticing the strategies and the things we're trying to throw at out there and 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 make them think a little bit 
Um, and then the third piece is, uh, um, you know, just just seeing how it works. If it's if, if, if it's really working, it is watching the scoring, seeing if it's if, if, if it's if the whole thing is working the way that we've always visualized it. You know, the cool thing about Ross's work here is that uh, I do really think that it's incredibly timeless. You know, uh, yeah, big wide fairways that are fun for the average player to play. Um while being very challenging, the, the elements in the periphery are, are, are challenging. So when you get off the fairway, uh, it's uh, it's no crap shoot out there. You're going to have to you have to golf your ball, um, but it's eminently playable for everybody. And the fact that Ross is so great at just nailing the size and the scale of the uh, of the greens perfectly um, and the uh, and the fall offs and all the cool intricacies that make Piners famous. You know, all of those creative shots the players get to play, putting, chipping, hitting, bumping runs. It just it tests everything in the bag out there. And um, um, so it's fun to see it all come together. When we had the senior women's open here, um, you know, they played incredibly well the year before at Chicago Golf Club. They ended up, you know, Laura Davis shot 16 under there. You know, it's one of my favorite golf courses anywhere in the, in the uh, country. I mean, so- it was a par 73. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But you know, it's it's, uh, it's and that's the way what the scoring should have been. You know, it should have been. Uh, 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 it, it played perfectly. I walked around it that weekend. It was just absolutely awesome. It was a great setup, and uh, and she just played played her tail off. It was amazing. Um, the next year at, at Pine Needles, I was worried that the girls were gonna they were gonna they were gonna shoot a low score here too. You know, and uh, um, but the uh, the golf course, you know, Ross's styling. You know, it comes back to basics. If if the players are hitting the clubs into the green that Ross intended, you aren't going to ever shoot a low score at Pine Needles. You know, this style is just really difficult. And that's what I think is so kind of timeless about is, is that uh, he meant these to be really, really hard golf courses and they do still play really hard. So it really makes for a, uh, for uh, a uh, really solid test for, for the USGA's mantra of like trying to defend par. And uh, so it's fun to watch uh, these tournaments play out and just see how that's all going. But a stride when you get back to, uh, Get back to uh, the end of the day on it. I'm an architect. I love to watch players get out there and try the shots that we're set up for them. Whether it's the nuances or trying to use, you know, contours within greens to hit a draw or a fade to a certain pin. It's fun to see how they're they're doing out there, and especially, you know, uh, the different kinds of players out there. You know, this week, you know, I I was really lucky this morning because I was following around um, uh, the person that's in the lead, and she was just crushing it. You know, she's at this at this hour she's out of four or five under. She's playing really good. And she was hit. She she was hitting it uh, uh, just forever out there. I'm gonna uh, forgive me if I mispronounce her name. She's an amateur. She's a newbie. Ingrid Lindblad, I believe. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. She's you know, she a great college good. player. Yeah, she was. She was just on fire. I'm looking at the scoring now. She's uh, she finished the opening round at six under par. She just killed it out there. And then uh, I was. She was in the same group with with Annika, and uh, uh, who obviously needs no introduction. And uh, you know, Annika, you know, she, she's senior open champion. Uh, so she doesn't hit it a ton anymore, but she still hits it beautifully out there. And I was having the time of my life watching, watching her hit shots. Cause she's one of the greatest shot makers ever. And she's coming in with a lot of the clubs that Ross intended out there. She hit like this, like one, two, three skipper up on an 18 green. She hit it up into uh, up on a two green with a little like Ross little running shot. So it's a lot of fun, especially because, you know, we, 
because I'm such a, a Ross Ross nerd and, and such a Piners nerd, I always know that especially here, he was always thinking ground game first, ground game first, ground game first. So it's really fun to have somebody of Annika's caliber out there watching her trying the stuff that he was designed for. We put so many of the nuances back in that he had like the spine that ran off of the front left bunker on two, you know, uh, one of your favorite holes out there that runs out in front of those front left pins. They had like that mid to front left pin set today on to hit this cool little skipping shot up there uh, to the fall away green. So, uh, you know, uh, a week and a day like this, I'm a kid in a candy store. I'm going to be out there there every day, uh, dawn to dusk. Now for a quick word from our sponsor club champion club champion is uh, these are the, the best when it comes to club fitting. This is where you should go get new golf clubs uh i could say that as a somebody who's gone there for a long time before they were a partner of the fried egg i've been going to club champion basically my entire life i uh, I was getting clubs fit by them out of their garage uh before they had a storefront so they have fifty thousand plus hittable head shaft combinations in every store so basically you're going to be able to find the exact right specs with from grip to shaft to club head for you. That's what I like most about Club Champion. Um, you never know what you're going to get when you go in there in terms of uh, of clubs. You can have these biases and think, hey, I'm a, I, for me, for example, I was a Mizuno iron guy for a long time. The, the last irons I got fit for, I was, you know, I was team Mizuno going in. The, my numbers were better with Callaway, so I went with Callaway. Uh, and they were a great set of irons that have lasted me a long time. I think that's the big thing. Great quality. So if you use the promo code FRIEDEGG through the end of the year, you'll get 20% off your fitting cost with the purchase of a club. Use the promo code FRIEDEGG and you'll get 20% off your fitting cost with the purchase of a club. They've got 100 plus facilities all, all over the world at this point. So it's easy to find a club champion uh, location near you. Use the promo code fried egg and you'll get 20% off your fitting with the purchase of a club. Now back to Kyle France. Uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about the, the work you did next door at Southern Pines. This is some of your most recent work. It is open, reopened back. It used to be, used to be the hidden gem, the, the great place that you could go avoid the crowds in uh in pinehurst and go see a really neat golf course that you'd always walk away and say man if somebody really put some time some money and some work into that that could be a a tremendous golf course well now the uh investment has been made you you did the work tell us a little bit about um what you did at southern pines i still haven't gotten down there i'm i'm kind of bummed i saw it before i it's on my list of things to do but um tell us about about uh, the Southern Pines project and and what you what you've been most thrilled about uh, with it. Yeah, no, it's it's just been a dream come true. I mean, uh, uh, if somebody would have told me 15 years ago that I was gonna get to come and work on the restoration number two for Bill and Ben, and that's what was gonna start this chain of reaction of all these other projects here, I'd be like, no way. I'm never gonna be lucky enough to do anything like that. But you know, I mean, starting with Mid Pines, that was the place that we went and played when we were working on number two. It's like my golfing home away from home to see the greens because nobody had ever really changed them that much. But the place that we went to like dream about uh, was was Pine Needles because we knew we'd probably have more cool events like this. It'd be fun to do a restoration on it. And then Southern Pines and especially Southern Pines because, 
you know, when I was when I was working on number two, I had the entire depth of photography, all the old photography either in front of me or I could go into the tough archives in the rain days. And, you know, uh, Audrey Moriarty and the great staff at the archives would help me to find anything I wanted to find. I would spend hours in there. I'd spend like five, seven hours in there on the rain days. And and so it really gave me like an encyclopedic knowledge of the styling of work that Ross is doing, like we were discussing. And, uh, and one style that I was just always really fascinated by was his early work there where he uh, he was a younger man. He was my age. You know, it's kind of ironic that like Ross is almost the same age when he started at Southern Pines that I was when I was restoring it, you know. So uh, so younger, brasher, wilder architect, you know, uh, you know, Ross was in his, his heyday of doing cool, wild stuff. So he had more of the way of forced carries like we were talking about before. You know, uh, I mentioned that number two in course one. Those had half the holes where he had like uh, forced carries. He'd mellowed out a little bit by the late teens, where it was maybe more like six or seven holes, and uh, where you had these forced carries in the middle of the golf holes. And uh, so I would, when when we would go over and play Southern Ponds during those years, I would kind of dream ahead. I'm like, you know, of all the golf courses that I hear that I would like to restore that would be the one I'd like to do the teens and the twenties style where he was just a little bit more wild, a little more woolly. And, uh, you know, again, he was just a fun, young, brash, young Scottish architect in those days. So, so I always dreamed ahead of that one. You know, Kelly had told me that Kelly Miller, um, who's the managing partner and owner here, he told me that he, he, he really wanted to, uh, to, to do a deal with Southern Pines someday. And, uh, um, so I had many years of, of thinking about it. And, uh, fortunately that's kind of how it all, when it came to fruition, you know, we uh, we went in with the goal that we wanted to do that period of work. So the bunkers in that period of Ross's work were really, really big. You know, like I've got this great photo of one of the holes on course three where it's got like a it's got like a 120 yard long bunker and it's slashing across the middle of the golf hole. And uh, it is some cool zany stuff. So went with the golf really big, bold bunkering. Um, and, uh, and some crossing features, you know, we got six or seven holes where we have that, where, you know, you got kind of a, a sandy native area that kind of crosses the middle of the golf hole, as opposed to having that, that full swath of, uh, of maintained stuff all the way, uh, all the way across, you know, uh, you know, 10 at pine needles was the only time that we dipped into that category, you know, gilded, uh, on, on nine at, uh, uh, of course four, but it was like the one piece to the puzzle that nobody had jumped on yet. And, uh, so I was really excited about doing that. And then if we're going to do that with the, you know, the, the internals of the golf holes, I kind of wanted to stick to that theme with the, uh, with the green complexes by the 19 early 1930s, when they switched from sand greens to grass greens, when they finally figured out how to make the agronomics work, his earliest work here was always its most bold as well. Like you look at the pictures of Pinders number two greens. Uh, from 34, 35 and growing. And it's like a jaw drop. It's like, what? They really built something that wild on 17 is they did, you know, uh, every hole that you look at uh, a photo of, it's just a little bit more amplified. I always said that, you know, um, the Pinehurst number two greens, they are indeed the concept of uh, what, what he wanted still today. There's always the great debate of whether they've been raised or lowered and all those things. And I've always felt like by and large, it's really simple. You're playing the concept of what he wanted. It's just the details have changed over all those regrassings over times where the highs are a little bit lower and the lows are a little bit higher. Well, I just had in my mind, it's like, okay, we're going into Southern Pines and we're going to, we're going to have that, 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 that 
dichotomy and elevation changes and the sharpness of features and uh, pine needles, we needed to be more mellow because you know the greens are 12, 13 out there on the stim meter today. So it needs to work for, for USGA events at the very, very fastest level. Whereas with Southern Pines, it's always had this, this you know cult following, you know, guys like you, guys like me, guys like Rand Morrison, and Chris Bowie, who, you know, Golf Club Atlas and uh, great rider Chris. Um, yeah, I mean, that's been Rand's, Rand's home course for years. He's got to be just out, through the moon yeah. with what, what it is now. You know, that's a, one of the neat things is the, you know, one of the most influential guys in golf architecture covering it from a writing standpoint has played at Southern Pines. He's lived there and, you know, probably could have gone and played all over. He played Southern Pines and uh, it, it, it is a cool place to call home. And now, you know, though every all the photos I I always they uh, they stop and make me stare uh, because the the work looks beautiful. I can't wait to get down there. Um, you're starting next week. Lookout Mountain. Um, yeah, yeah. Another yeah. Uh, another one of the ones that was always on the list of man. If if they if, if they uh, if they ever did something that could be pretty cool. I I believe I read I that it was the second most expensive golf course built in the Golden Age behind Yale. Um, you know, building a building a course on, on literally the the edge of a mountain is a uh, is a tough task. Um, and you're teaming up with Tyler Ray uh, for that project. Uh, what what's going to be the work and and the focus of that project? Yeah, you know, big big uh, bunker restoration job and uh, green restoration job. You know, it's the same kind of things that we work on all over the place where the greens have shrunk a little bit or the, in the bunker projects they've done over time, they've kind of been rounded off and lost that, that really cool, like hard line uh, uh, element to, uh, you know, the, the shaping, you know, just like we were talking about with Southern Pines where, where the greens have just been made softer and gentler with changes by other architects over the decades. And we really tried to amplify the, excuse me, the, uh, the wild uh, putts from top to bottom or the cool contours coming in and out. So it's the same that we're going to get on uh, on Lookout Mountain where, you know, we get the, the cool little nuances, the little squared off corners that are so famous and Rainer McDonald greens and, uh, and just get all the cool details back, the corner pins and uh, uh, all the, the fun stuff. But a great bunker job as well where we're going to get, you know, that uh, kind of cool old world, uh, you know, both styling uh, of, uh, of the shaping work that Rainer McDonald did, but also just just all the, the great old shapes, you know, like the beauty of their of their style of having the templates. We have all these, these dozen, two dozen golf courses that we can go back and like, that's what it, that's what it looked like on the, uh, on the Beerettes or the Alps or, or any of those holes. So we have, uh, it's, uh, it's going to be a fun archeology span job to go along with uh, uh, the, uh, the design and the construction side of it to get the, uh, you know, the coolest, the coolest possible product, a lot of tree removal to uh, really get the uh, big views across the property, you know, for people that have never been to Chattanooga, never been to, to Lookout Mountain, I can't overstate just how cool of a property is. You'd never believe there's anything like it in the American South because everything's such a gentle rolling landscape. And uh, other than when you get to the Appalachians and then you go to Chattanooga and you, you're standing down there at the level of the Tennessee River and looking up there, you go, you know, 1,200, 1,500 feet up there on the top of this cliff. And that's where Lookout Mountain sits. So it's a uh, it's just an amazing 360 view. Yeah, I mean uh, the view is down Lookout Mountain towards Georgia, across the valley, across towards the city. It's an incredibly beautiful place. 
wonderful, neat, like rock outcropping. So we're going to cut a good bit of a uh, good bit of trees out there and just expose, expose it all. So you really get that, that kind of, uh, that kind of top of the world vibe that the, that only lookout can provide down here in the Southeast. The other neat thing about that place is how much gravity just influences your golf game out there. You don't feel like you're, you're on like the side of a mountain all the time, but then you hit a shot and you're like, Whoa, that right. thing just ripped that way. Like you hit putts and they just, and you don't see the break and they just rip, uh, you know, the different, a different way that you think it, it is a, it's a golf course that, you know, I feel like you could play it hundreds of times before you really understood what everything that was going on because of the setting there on the side of a mountain. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, the club does, does everything right. You know, the fact that, you know, they don't overseed it all there. And as you know, you know, the, the, the fastest surfaces in the world are either, you know, the great old blend of, of, effects and just links glass grasses in the UK. And then second, really it's dormant Bermuda grass. It's like just that shiny sheen, just super fast running, uh, surface in the winter time. And, uh, um, so between that and the contour out there, it is a cool, cool ground game course, you know, so, uh, definitely one of the top priorities to just maximize that out. You know, the, uh, all the false fronts that we're going to kind of, uh, span back out and add, those are really going to get it to where much like you and I have talked about so much when we walked around mid ponds, you know, remember all those false fronts where I just went down the slope as far as I could with the green height grass, you're taking that Velcro effect out, you know, uh, I think we're going to have a huge boost in the, uh, in, in the fun factor of what's already incredibly fun, fun, uh, uh, on fast golf course during certain times of the year. Yeah, I think that's one of the big themes of of the restoration work that I've seen of yours is the recapturing of unpinnable uh, area. And I think like it's, you know, courses and across the world, really, the you know, sometimes when when maintenance practices go one direction and is the the first thing removed or the, the things that aren't recaptured necessarily always in, in restorations is that unpinnable space because they think, oh. We can't put a pin there, so what? Why? Why? Why do we need to mow that as short, short, you know, green height grass? Talk, talk to us about the dimension that that unpinnable space, what it adds to a golf course. Uh, well, I mean, the uh, it, it's it's almost like as simple as one, two, three sort of answer. You think about it, the uh, um, you know, usually these these super fast hole locations on the green were meant to be the fast sections of greens that. Uh, uh, when the when the golf course is built, so when you lose that, you're losing the the, the spiciest hole locations that the original arch- architect intended, especially at the margins of greens where uh, where are the first places that usually go because like well that's too steep, that's too fast, balls are just rolling off the green over there. You slow that down just enough, and all of a sudden you've got world class hole location. Yeah, you know, prime example, the first hole that I got out and watched this morning was. Uh, was 2000 and uh, uh, two, or sorry, uh, uh, over on 16. Whereas in 2007, uh, the green had become, you know, a little bit too steep and a little too fast uh, on the far furthest left hole location. There's a cool little hollow that Ross built uh, out from the left-hand bunker and, and, and extending out in front of the front left pin. But it got to the point where that was like four and a half, five percent so I slowed that down just enough that you could you could put a pin back in there at you know hot two and a half almost three percent and uh, and Shannon Rulliard, uh awesome lady I love working with Shannon she sets up all the, the ladies events for the uh, the USGA and she works so hard at it. she's been 
so much fun to work with and uh, to be around or make suggestions or uh, or just to pick her brain. You know, I always tell her that I just love learning from her uh, the the nuance of uh, of uh, of setup. You know, I've learned so much from from the three events we've worked on together between here and uh, uh, the U.S. Women's Open at, uh, at Country of Charleston and then uh, the 19 Senior Open here. Um, but uh, Right out of the gates, boom. Shannon went right for that front left pin uh, right out of the gates today. Uh, so it's fun to see uh, the, uh, the 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 sections of greens that got abandoned um, uh, utilized on, on the on these tournaments and the settings where where really counts quite a bit. Uh, um, so uh, it has really really uh, expanded the palette that Shannon can utilize to get these players thinking and uh, and uh, and reacting and 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 having fun out there. That I, obviously you're hitting on a very hot topic in, in golf architecture, green speeds, restoration of greens and green speeds and pinnable space. Um, what's the kind of the line that you personally walk with, with softening greens versus restoring them to originals? You know, how, how do you, how does that balance work? Obviously I, I imagine sometimes it's club specific, but you know, what's your general mentality with that? Yep. Yeah. You know, I think we've gotten to a really great place in turf grass management where right now still what we do, it works. It's not too taxing on the plant to the point where, you know, uh, it's, it's just smoking it. I think if we go any further, uh, I think if we go any further with speeds, it's going to make it to where uh, it's actually a negative. You know, it's going to be just that much more expensive. That was harder uh, on the, on the plants. And, um, and also, you know, getting back to basics, we don't want to lose these great hole locations on on old golf courses. You know, the uh, uh, the uh, uh, the results need to match the goals. So I think it's great that we've gotten to where speeds can 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 be this hot and this fast, and uh, players can get it really bouncing around on the on the greens, even on uh, uh, golf courses where it's you know not the right soils or or it gets wet out there. Um, but uh, we don't want to get it to where uh, um, where it's going either too fast or going backwards to where it's it's too slow. So I always feel like a, um, a lot of the time, if you have a golf course where you're losing hole locations, um, you should probably should slow down the greens to get it back to where you need to be. But if you're going to do a big project and you're going to do um, the uh, the uh, the work on them, you should take the opportunity to really get it right and get all those hole locations back to where they, they, they really work, uh, without, without overdoing it, without, you know, taking the, uh, the cool mustard out of the, uh, the greens and, uh, and, and going backwards. So it's a very fine line. It's, it's, it's a great question and, uh, it requires careful thought. That's why everybody should have really, a a really good active, uh, you know, restoration architect. All right. Well, we're going to keep this one short. We're going to, you know, with all the work you got, we're going to be, we're going to be talking again sometime soon. It, it, it's been too long since we, we last talked. I mean, it, you were probably in the first 25 episodes of the Friday podcast and well, that's uh, right. Yeah, and that. uh, yeah. we'll get you back on here, here shortly, but thank you for, for coming on, lending your uh, immense knowledge of Ross and the Sandhills there in North Carolina. And uh, I, I want to let you get back out of the golf course and watch some golf and uh, congratulations and can't wait to talk again, Kyle. Sounds good. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. And uh, 
like I said, we got to get you. We got to get you out to some of these projects. It'll be a fun summertime, and uh, and come visit us. I, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm I'm on the road. I've, I've I could assure you that I've got ample travel time. I just need to work <laughs> work work your your. Uh, the, I got to work the southeast in. Uh, could be could be a fall destination. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, Kyle. We'll talk soon, and good luck with uh, Lookout and Cabot Citrus in in this week. Very good. Thanks, bud. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Thank you very much to Meg Atkins. Uh, she does a wonderful job editing out, you know, all my mistakes. And as a quick reminder, we've got Father's Day around the corner. We are doing a sale. Uh, it is 15% off everything in our pro shop except for photography. So it starts this Friday, the day this podcast goes goes out. And it runs all the way through Sunday the 19th. So we've got a bunch of brand new merchandise that will be in the shop. Uh, we should have some country club at Brookline, uh, some, some U.S. Open themed merchandise soon, within probably a week or so that will be up. But get 15% off everything in the shop outside of photography. And uh, it'll automatically be applied at checkout. So you can't even pay full price if you want to. So do that go to the pro shop.thefriedag.com see out see our new stuff up there and thank you again for listening to another episode of the friday